The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, episode 849 for Monday, December 21st, 2020. <laughs> Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, the show where we take your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found. We mix them all together. We, we carefully, in fact, we hand select them and craft them into an agenda that we often even follow. And the goal is to answer your questions and share your tips in order to each come away. Having learned at least no less than five new things every single week. Sponsors for this episode include ExpressVPN, Plush Care, Scanner Pro from Riedel, BetterHelp, of course, ExpressVPN.com slash MGG, PlushCare.com slash MGG, Riedel.com, and BetterHelp.com slash MGG. We'll talk more about each of those URLs and why uh, you will visit them and check them out and see if they work for you. We'll talk all about that a little later in the episode, shall we, Mr. Braun? I, uh, how are you today, Mr. Braun? Oh, wait, I, I'm supposed to say here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And I'm supposed to say here in snowy Fairfield, Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. Uh, yeah, I, I jumped the gun. I'm, I'm raring to go, I guess. Uh, but at least I know what we're supposed to say. So, you know, that makes it interesting. Uh, are, is it snowing while we're recording? No. Okay. But it's going to, I think, I think we're supposed to get some snow today too. Yeah. But a rainy Christmas, unfortunately. But I think we're going to have a, uh, a snowy new year, which most years is bad, but I think this year most people aren't going out. So maybe mm. that would be a good thing. <sighs> All right. I'm excited to get to the show because there are some things I learned this week, John, and I, I can't wait mm -hmm. to share them. I was, uh, <clears throat> at the end of last week, I was lamenting or in the show, I guess, maybe not at the end. I was lamenting that when I use Command-Shift-5 to take a screenshot, the floating thumbnail I, I did not like, I did not care for. And uh, and it turns out, according to listener Allison, uh, that you can just turn that off if you go into the options menu of your screenshotting, uh, you can, which, is, which comes up when you do Command-Shift-5, you can uncheck the item in options that says show floating thumbnail. And guess what? It doesn't show anymore. Uh, Allison followed up, though, uh, because she wrote an article over at her blog, of course, at podfeet.com, because she says, I discovered something amazing about that little floating thumbnail. If you click on it, there's a button that looks like a little pen tip inside of a circle with a wee tiny arrow to the right. If you click that button, you will see a list of your iOS devices. Select one. I'd select. I, she says, I'd suggest an iPad with a pencil or Logitech crayon. Your screenshot instantly shows up on the iPad ready to be annotated. No more trying to draw on a trackpad or with a mouse. Your annotations are instantly reflected on the Mac. And it does all of this without even unlocking the iPad. So we will link to that. But what a heck of a quick tip. Nice little follow up quick tip. I love it. It's what we do. So I like that the screenshot utility is getting more, but that iPad integration, like that, 
That blows my mind. Had no idea. Did you get an Apple Pencil with your iPad, John? Uh, no. No accessories as of yet, except for... Um, I mean, I got the cellular model, and I got the uh, Apple uh, stand or cover, if you will. But that's, sure. That's the only accessories right now. Though I know there's a... And maybe uh, when we do virtual CES, um, maybe uh, someone will uh, help me uh, get like a nifty keyboard or something like mm. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were at it. I, I would highly recommend ordering an Apple Pencil. Uh, I guess for you, it's an Apple Pencil 2. Highly recommend. Mm-hmm. And, and if you don't like it, return it. But it is well worth experiencing the iPad with a pencil. I, I am not someone I, I have a pencil for mine. I wound up giving it to, to my wife for her iPad mini that supports the Apple pencil one. Cause that's what my uh, original 11 inch pro supports. But man, it like my wife and both of my kids, I am the only one in my house that does not make like regular use of their Apple pencils. Uh, it really like a lot of people use these things in a lot of ways. I think Steve jobs was, was wrong on, on this. Like the stylus is a very good thing to, uh, to, for many people. I, my kids use it when taking notes in class. Uh, I think all of them are using notability for the most part, but they might be using Apple notes too. But, um, but my kids use notability with the pencil, uh, it, you know, in their classes and all that. And my wife uses it. With also with notability uh, for all her knitting patterns and making notes while she's doing her like knitting and stuff. And, and she says she couldn't live without it. So I recommend it to see if it's the kind of thing that like fits into your workflow lifestyle, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Any more thoughts on that before we, we get to move on to Mike? No, I'll, uh, I'll, consider it yeah i think i have some apple bucks sitting around somewhere yeah i think and i think you get their typical 14 days although being that it's holidays they might even i I don't know does apple have an extended till january 31st like return policy because of the holidays somebody in the chat room will tell me please at live.macgeekab.com thank you for everybody that comes and joins us and helps make the show uh, much much better in fact so yeah you all rock All right. Uh, Mike says, I was sitting at my computer paying bills, listening to old Mac Geekab episodes, playing on my Sonos from my iTunes library, running on my Mojave system, trying to get caught up in one of them. You were thinking you were thanking premium users. Uh, Oh, uh, never mind. Sorry. I should have had a note to not read the first paragraph. Anyway, thank you for being a premium user. Uh, How am I on? Skip ahead, brother. Well, am I? No, I have the wrong PDF here. I do not have a Mike PDF. I have a Bruce PDF. This is from listener Bruce. So I don't have Mike's PDF. I have to go find Mike's PDF unless you have a Mike PDF in front of you, John. I have a, a, a Bruce PDF labeled a Mike PDF. Yes, you do. Yes, I do. All right. You know what? You take us to Peter and I will figure out what happened with Mike. How's that shout? How's that sound? Okay. All right. Peter says, my daughter bought, brought her iPad mini latest model to me with the following black text on a completely white screen. 
Data recovery cannot be completed. Please restore your iPad from backup. Okay, that sounds bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, I first tried rebooting. It came back to the lock screen, but upon hitting the home button, this occurred again. Home button. I didn't think they had that anymore. Um, Next, I turned to Google and got the recommendation that plugging into a Mac and trying to update slash reinstall the software. Well, the iPad didn't show up and the Finder. I'm running Big Sur. More Googling didn't help me troubleshoot this. So I called Apple and after they suggested the same things I already did, suggested that I put the iPad into recovery mode. Here's the info on that. And there's an article we will link to that tells you how to put it into this, uh, at least to me and I think you, Dave, uh, unknown recovery mode for an iOS device. Um, so for this model, it was powering down and then simultaneously holding the home button and sleep wake button until the screen said recover with a URL for this. Going through this, it did connect to the Mac and I was able to wipe it and restore. We talk about the recovery mode for Macs, but the quick tip here is that iPads and iPhones also have a recovery mode. After one decade of owning iOS devices, I don't think I've ever needed this before, but it's good to know. Yes. Good to know. Huh? Interesting. So is this different from like that DFU mode? It sure looks different than all of that. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. All right. Cool. Yeah. We, and we have the link in the show notes. That's great, man. Yeah. Nice find. Wow. Okay. Cool. Uh, more on that. I found Mike, I think, John. So. Oh, we can go to Mike. All right. Is there more on, on Peter? Okay. Uh, oh, a, a quick little update in the chat room. Brian Monroe says eighth uh, of January is Apple's return window of things now. So, uh, and of course, it would probably go later than that if you wind up buying something that uh, you know that goes uh, that, that would give you fourteen days past that. So, all right. Now, finally, to Mike, he says messages on iOS fourteen has improved the ability to view previous items sent and received in a message. Clicking the name of the person you are chatting with at the top of the screen brings up the audio FaceTime info buttons. The info button brings up a sheet with various controls. And at the bottom, you'll find the items you have sent and received. These items were there before in one long list, I think. And I think you're right. Now he says they have been categorized into photos, links, documents, I thought it was a great improvement and wanted to share. Yeah, that's actually a really good one because you're right. It used to just be a big, you know, uh, untagged list. And now it is like, here's documents, here's links, here's this. Yeah, I like it. Thanks, Mike. I'm glad we, I'm actually, I'm glad we dug back to that one because that's, that was a good one. I, I wish I knew how things happened to get us backwards like that, but you know, that's how it goes. Uh, you want to, you found something else, John, in iOS. Yeah. I found some, yeah, I found something by accident. So I was in Safari, uh, on my iPhone and I think what I wanted to do was edit the uh, URL in the, uh, URL bar, but, uh, I, I touched the wrong thing. Um, on the right of that bar is a reload little arrow with a circle and on the left are little uh, a little a and a big a um and when i clicked on that though uh so that you know you could probably figure out that changes the font size sure um, bigger or smaller 
But there's also a whole bunch of other things there. And I just wanted to share. It says show reader view, hide toolbar, request desktop website, website settings. Um, you can individually set certain things and privacy report. And this shows that this article from Wired apparently uh, blocked 31 trackers. So <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. That, well, that's I mean, that's the beauty of the quick tip, the thing that is right there. And if you didn't know it was there, you didn't know it was there. And probably somebody else didn't either. Yeah. I use that mm -hmm. often to um, to do the desktop view thing that but it it's I it used to be that you would just hold down the um, the, you know, the refresh button and get, and then you'd get a little menu that said that gave you the option for desktop view. And I routinely find myself, st myself still doing that. And then it's like, Oh, that's right. I got to go over to the, the, the little arrows or the little letters and, and, you know, select the other things. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if it should be a gear or something. It's, it's a, it's a weird, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, it doesn't communicate to me what it, what it has. And every time I open that list, like you, I'm like, Oh, that's right. There's all these cool things here, but now it shows the, I didn't even know that it was showing the privacy stuff. That's pretty good. Good, good. All right. Craig, uh, Brings us one. He says, here's a quick tip. I discovered dealing with iOS 14.2 battery drain issues on my original OG iPhone SE. Evidently, the bug affects mostly older iPhone models like mine. It's a bummer as my phone now goes dead within a few hours when disconnected from a charger. I'm hoping Apple fixes it in 14.3, but I have my doubts. He says, uh, keeping my SE in low power mode with the battery setting helps. But as you know, the iPhone automatically turns low power mode off when the phone is recharged at past 80% or to 80%, I guess. He says, but there is a way to force it to stay in low power mode by writing a script with the iOS shortcuts app. What the script does is turn low power mode back on every time the phone turns it off, which also prevents me from turning low power mode off manually. But if I want to just go into the shortcuts app, I just turn it off and then I'm good. And he sent us a link to the script or the shortcuts um, app, or I guess it's what do we call it? We call it a script. We call it a shortcut, I guess is what we call it. And um, there's a, yeah, there's a how to geek article that's linked in the show notes at MacGeekab.com that, uh, that shows you this script and it's great. Yeah. There's a trigger if you know, that you can hang this off of that is if low power mode is put on and stop it, you know, turn it back, then do this script and the script can be turn low power mode off. <clears throat> and once it's, once it's back off past the 80% mark, it also stays off. So, um, yeah, it's pretty good. Um, yeah, I also have it in my control center. You can uh, put one of those uh, low power mode. It's a, a little battery. Yep. Do you use low power mode a lot, John? Uh, only if I'm out and about and I uh, didn't charge the phone enough and the bar is then red when yep. it gets below like 20% or 10%. Yeah, and I put it in low power mode and, and usually that'll... Uh, That'll last me until I can get to a charger. So. How, okay, so I, I I know I'm taking us on a little detour here, but uh, how have you found battery life to be on the 12 mini for you? Um, I can typically go throughout the day, a day being yeah. out and about, yeah. 
um, uh, if if I fully charge it uh, overnight and then leave. Um, also, I think the good thing is that um, around in, in these parts, a lot of the places that I go to have free Wi-Fi, so I'm not uh, sucking power with uh, cellular data. Uh, I think that's yeah. one of the things that draw that consumes most of the power. So, um, yeah, I guess I guess it obviously it still consumes more power than than uh, than Wi-Fi. Yeah. All right. That makes sense. That makes sense. So I'm curious, do you have your phone set to manage um, intelligently protect the battery? I got to pull up my phone here to, uh, to to. So if you go into settings battery battery mm-hmm. health optimized battery charging sorry that's the that's the setting i'm i'm thinking of here do you have yours um, set on or off uh it's set on which i guess is the default it maximum is. capacity 100 percent, and peak performance which this is a brand new phone so i would expect that but yeah so i guess they set that by default okay yeah i've i've found that doesn't work great for my like haphazard life. I'm, I I don't have a regular routine. I certainly don't leave the house every day. Um, but when I do starting the day at 80% is sometimes not optimal. And so, and, and I find that I often am starting the day at 80% with that on. So I've got to, uh, I think I'm going to try turning that off and see how I do. Maybe, in a couple of weeks, I'll, I'll remember to, to check and turn it back on. Now I have to put my phone behind me so that I don't get distracted by any of its, its, its wily charms there. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so moving on, we have a couple more quick tips to go through. So thank you for that one, Craig. Good, 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 good. Um, I definitely found battery life on the 12 Pro better my experience with battery life on the 12 pro is better than my experience with battery life on the 12 mini. Uh, I, I never worried about it at all on the 12 pro. And even my, my, well, she's no longer a teenager, but my young adult daughter who it, it has, is, is the one that, that caught my 12 pro as it was falling down the ranks of the family. Uh, she, was saying last night, she's like, this phone's amazing. She says, I've never had a phone that I didn't need to charge during the day. And it was like 10 o'clock at night or something. And she was still at like 38% battery, which is a lot for her. She would routinely charge, you know, once or twice throughout the day. So the, the 12 pros battery definitely seems better anecdotally in the Hamilton household than the 12 mini battery. But, um, but the, I wouldn't say the 12 mini battery is terrible at all. Uh, I just I need to I need to do what I just did and turn off this optimized thing. So I'm not starting the day down 20 percent. And uh, I need to ask my daughter if she's doing that, starting the day down 20 percent, because if she is, that's even more impressive. So. All right. Um, good on the batteries, John. Yeah. Nothing more to add. Yeah, I'm just looking here. Tw- iPhone 12 mini 22, 27 milliamp hours and iPhone 12 Pro is. 28, 15 milliamp hours. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, quite a bit bigger. I mean, the screen is bigger too. And that really is the mm-hmm. biggest draw usually, unless you've got right, some right. runaway process, but yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, Robbie reminds us, uh, he says, when I use the contacts app, um, 
on my Mac, he actually asked a question and then answered it. So we'll get there. He says, uh, to find a person and then click the, <clears throat> excuse me, click the email icon to send an email. Contacts will open my Chrome web browser into Gmail. However, I just wanted to open the mail app to send an email. Uh, it's like Gmail is somehow set as the default program instead of mail app. And he says, I have a tip to share. All I had to do to fix this was open mail, go to preferences on the general tab and change the default email reader. He says, I knew there should be a setting somewhere. Sometimes it's just hard to find where it is. He says, I didn't have the general tab selected as the last tab when I opened preferences before. So yeah, yeah, that general tab in mail is where you would set the default mail client. Seems a little weird to use a mail client to set the default mail client. Feels more like a thing that should be in system-wide's general settings in system preferences, but in fact, it is not. What's odd is that the default web browser is set in system preferences general, among other places. So feels a little misleading, but um, but it is there in mail. So thank you for reminding us of that, Robbie. Great one. I love it. Good. Moving on, John. Mm-hmm. Okay. Jim uh, reminds us or tells us, he says, uh, most of us have electronically shared a photo from our Apple Photos library via text messages, email, or airdrop. Sometimes it is important that all of the metadata be carried along with the photo. Other times you don't want any of it or maybe some of it only. For example, uh, you might want to exclude the person or persons you are sharing the picture with are not well known. And you are concerned they might share it far and wide without dropping your location data. So you would want to exclude that. Times you'd want to include if you're sharing with family or friends who want to import it into their own photos library and want the photos app to handle it properly when sorting by date and or location. Well, in iOS 14.2 and perhaps for some time before that, you can handle this in photos by selecting the photos you want to share. You touch select and then touch each of the photos you want to share. Okay, great. Yep. Then touch the share icon, the square with the arrow pointing up, the standard share icon. And now, here it is. You will see two control switches. One that will allow you to send or not send all data, and one that will allow you to send or not send location. You could, for example, elect to set all data on, but turn location off. And this is at the top of that little share window. This assumes there is metadata included in your photo. If you received it from someone else or it was taken with an old camera, there may not be any metadata in the file at all. That's a great tip. I had no idea you could do that, John. So thank you, Jim. Hmm. That's a good one. Yeah, right? It's pretty good. Pretty good. You want to take us to... Uh, do you have any thoughts on that, John? <clears throat> no. Okay. You want to take us to no, your... check that out. Uh, actually, you know what I want to do, John, I, you, do we have two more things that are kind of sort of quick tips, but also kind of sort of stories here. So what I want to do next is talk about our two sponsors and then I want to do those stories. If in fact that works for you, my friend, it does. All right. I am super happy today to talk about our next sponsor, which is Riedel, who has launched the new version of Scanner Pro. It's iPhone and iPad scanning app with over 9 million downloads and included in the top apps of 2020 chart. Scanner Pro lets you turn papers into professional looking PDFs and provides the best in class quality document scanning. And with the latest update, 
Scanner Pro gets a fresh new look. It gets this enhanced user experience and powerful new text recognition right there inside the app. Scanner Pro also becomes a free app with an optional premium subscription. Existing customers get the app and its newest features for free, and you get to try it just by visiting either Riedel.com or just go to the App Store and find it. You can learn more about the new version at Riedel.com. We'll put a link in the show notes. And in fact, they even at Riedel have a letter from their founder on Scanner Pro's bigger journey. We'll put that in there. Alex is a great guy. I've met him several times. You got to go check it out. And of course, right at the App Store is where you can download Scanner Pro. Go check it out. Our thanks to Riedel for sponsoring this episode. You know, sometimes it's just hard to stay happy. In fact, During the holidays, it can be even harder for many of us, and it's important to stay happy, right? You can that can interfere with lots of different things, your goals, your just your daily life. And this is why our sponsor, BetterHelp, is here. They will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And then you get to connect in a safe and private online environment. It's super convenient and super safe because you are doing it online. And you can start communicating in under 24 hours. This is not self-help. It's better help. And that is professional counseling. You can then send a message to your counselor at any time and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. Either way, whatever is more comfortable for you and all without ever having to sit in that uncomfortable waiting room. Better help is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if you ever want. It's available for clients worldwide. That's true, worldwide. And they've got a broad range of expertise for things like you know grief, self-esteem, depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, even sleeping issues. They are there, and anything you share is confidential. You've got to check it out because I want you to start living a happier life today. And as a Mac Keycap listener... You'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash MGG. Join over a million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash MGG. Our thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. All right, John. All right, Dave. Here's, um, here's something weird that happened, and I just thought I would share with people. I think there's some tips buried in here. Okay. So that's always, always good. save your always save your receipts. Um when you um when you purchase something through your Apple ID, you'll get a receipt telling you what it is. And for me, it's mostly uh Apple gift cards and stuff like that. Yeah. Um but then I got a weird one just a day or so ago, Dave. And it's like, okay, I'm sending this to your Apple ID. Um, Apple services, $9.99. Apple Music subscription. I'm like, I didn't do that. Mm. So, a little detective work here. So, if you click on the order ID, you will then go to a page and it'll say show purchase history. I'm like, okay, let's sure. look at my purchase history. And all right, it's loading it here. All right, then it, you'll see it in the music app. Um, right. And then I see it, you know, I see the line there, Apple Music subscription. And then I click on more. And it's like, okay, the subscription was, uh, it was done on December 19th, 2020, purchased from old MacBook Pro. Hmm. <laughs> 
So I think I know what happened here. I do, too. Whoa. Yeah. I don't think uh, so. I traded in my old MacBook Pro, which I obviously renamed to old MacBook Pro <laughs> uh, before I uh, wiped it. Um, <clears throat> I don't know that I mean, you guess wiped what it. Happened to- <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I think I know what I did not do. I did not deauthorize it. But if you had wiped it, would it would that not have de? I mean that that you're right that that doesn't deauthorize it, but it also doesn't like you're not logged in. There's nothing if you wipe the machine. There's nothing logged into your Apple ID. So I yeah. So so I guess it's some some bug somewhere. The thing is, I followed the instructions. You know, they ship you a trade in kit, and I followed the instructions to the letter. Huh. Um. So, um, so what you can do in that case though, right. So, so I'm, I'm guessing that's what happened is that somebody, I guess they, somebody is using my old, old machine. I thought they just, you know, rip it apart and, and, you know, take all the metals and stuff out. But I guess somebody's, uh, somebody's now the happy owner of a MacBook Pro 2012. <laughs> um, wow. here's where you can go. Um, report a problem dot apple dot com. So you go there, I guess you got to log in if you're not logged into your Apple ID. And then they're like, OK, um, you know, explain your problem and and we'll see what we can do about it. So I basically reported the issue, uh, just like I described to you, saying sure. I this is reporting a purchase with the machine that I traded in. Right. So I think they're going to. Uh, well, hopefully they're like in a couple of days, we'll tell you what you know what we did. And I'm going to say reverse the charge and deauthorize the computer. Now, the other thing. So and um, you, I, 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 you, you definitely reformatted this machine, right? Oh yeah, totally. You know, I, I logged it out. again. I did uh, all the stuff that they, you know, recommended. I, I understand, but like specifically, what if somebody, if, if you, like, turned on that machine before you put it in the box, like, or after you put it in the box? Mm-hmm. What would have happened? Was it just like? completely blank quite flashing question mark what what no it comes up and says you know welcome to mac you know like oh so you okay you get it out of the box you reinstalled you went into recovery mode wiped the thing and then reinstalled whatever catalina yes. or something or like that okay all right so yeah that should have done that interesting wow huh yeah now the thing is you can go so in the music app among other places i think but um you go to account, view my account. Yeah. Uh, let's see. The next one is manage devices. And when I went to manage devices, sure enough, the old MacBook Pro was there. So, interesting. <clears throat> excuse me. I removed it and now it's not there anymore. Interesting. Yeah. I So, there's something amiss. And I don't want to pull up the music app on this computer because with all the audio things I have going on right now, I, I yeah. feel like that would be ill-advised. But I really do kind of want to pull it up because I've been having this issue where you can have a maximum of 10 total devices logged into your Apple Music account. And I, I am a Ma- Apple Music subscriber. And mm-hmm. what's bizarre is I have some devices that are – um, that have been attached for a long time that I could be like, Oh, I could, I could remove that. It won't let me remove them in there because it says they have to be in for 90 days before you can remove them. And I, and I know 
that they have been on for more than 90 days. Like they've been on for years, but there's something in there. And I haven't called Apple. I was able to find like one of the devices and actually log it out on itself. Um, you know, I test a lot of things I have. We seem to have collected a bunch of old iPads that have very, very limited utility here in the house. And, but I've logged them each into my Apple ID, logging them into my Apple ID automatically, it seems, uh, or very easily, so much so that I didn't notice it happening, logged them into my Apple Music account. So And so I couldn't log, in fact, this machine, I couldn't log into my Apple Music account. It's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. So yeah, there's there's something wonky with its management of devices. Um, that's in, That's really interesting. Yeah, I, I'm still, I mean, even if you had somehow not reformatted it, I, like someone would have needed to know your password to log in to Apple to your Apple ID to sign up for Apple Music. I'm not sure how that that sounds like a major bug on Apple's part. Like, like mm-hmm. I don't even if somebody like even if somebody just got your current computer, forget about your old one. Even if somebody got your current computer, like how would they log in and sign up for Apple Music with that? Like first they'd need to log into the machine. Now, maybe with physical access, they could change the root password. Okay, now we're in. Oh, and then they could get your Apple ID's password from the system keychain. Okay, but you probably have two-factor authentication turned on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's that's bizarre. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how that happened. Like, I'm trying to figure out like how a user oversight could have allowed that but but even that doesn't it doesn't make any sense yeah fascinating well apple does have some bugs john you know when uh 11.0 came out i think it maybe even in the last episode but certainly recently i was ranting about the messages app i love it but i also was uh disliking it because it had uh, i couldn't use the arrow keys to edit text that I was typing and it was bizarre. I'm sure it's because it, you know, it was just a project catalyst app that came over from, from iOS. I realized the other morning that I was successfully using the arrow key to edit messages I was typing. And I, uh, the only difference is I am now running Mac OS 11.1. So, um, so there you go. There you go. So that's, um, it it is fixed. That part is fixed in Big Sur eleven point one. Have you had good luck with eleven point one? It feels the eleven point one. I have now put on my son put it on his machine, and I, we we put it on the Mac Mini that Lisa uses. So we put it on Lisa's machine. I don't know why I said it that way. Um, and I think we're, and we're going to do it to my daughter's machine. But eleven point one was eleven point one seems to have been working it has been working well for me and and certainly improves a few of those little things. How has it been working for you john so far so good so far so good okay good 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 all right should we uh we have some questions about uh migration and cloning it's sort of a follow up to a couple of weeks ago when re- I, I say it's a follow up Really, we had all these questions a couple of weeks ago. We just ran out of time for them. So I'm happy to, to revisit this. Um, Craig brings us a question and he says, over the next few months, I'm considering migrating my 2015 iMac 
to a 2018 Intel Mac Mini to an M1 Mac Mini. Big Sur is the Mac OS environment on the 25, the 2015. So he'd be sticking with Big Sur all the way through. Two questions. Can I accomplish this by initially using Carbon Copy Cloner to clone my iMac SSD to an external Thunderbolt 3 SSD and use that as the system slash data SSD for the middle step on the Intel Mac Mini and then moving that same one to the M1 Mac Mini once available and then, as a last step, cloning to the M1's internal SSD for the final step. Basically retaining one Big Sur system data volume pair along the way from start to finished. And then uh, second question in this proposed last step, is there a complication of using a system clone from Intel to M1? Is the Big Sur Mac OS universal and does it contain everything needed for either Intel or M1? I have not tested this, but from lots of emails that we've gotten from you all, uh, including one I think we're going to answer a question about later in the show. Yes, cloning, making a bootable clone with an Intel Mac of Big Sur will boot that clone on your M1 Mac. So, yes, it does appear that Big Sur is a universal binary. If I've got this wrong, uh, somebody in the chat room will tell me. But, um, but, but it sure seems that way based on some stuff that Carbon Copy Cloner has mentioned and, and that sort of thing. So, so yeah, I, I think this will work. The last step, though, is the one that I have questions about because I don't know that you can create a bootable clone yet with Carbon Copy Cloner in Big Sur. So, I, like, while this theoretically would work... I don't know that it will actually work because the utility and I'm looking here, the utility for that uh, process does not yet exist for Apple Silicon. And I'm, I'm pulling up. There's a um, there's a, an article that that Mike Bombick at Carbon Copy Cloner wrote here, and he says that Carbon Copy Cloner as of 5.1.23, which is from November 24th, so almost a month ago can now make bootable backups of Big Sur startup disks on Intel-based Macs. Support for system volume cloning on Apple Silicon Macs is disabled for now because Apple's APFS replication utility does not currently work on that platform. When Apple fixes that, there'll be an update to CCC that restores this on Apple Silicon Macs. So you can make a clone from an Intel Mac that will boot an M1 Mac, but you cannot make a bootable clone on an M1 Mac. So this final step of your process here, Craig, cannot currently work. But you're talking about doing this in a few months. Can we presume that Apple will release an Apple Silicon build of this replication utility? We can hope. Um, I think they probably will. But at the moment, it doesn't exist as far as we know. So, uh, so just bear that in mind. If you get but but I think your your idea is sound. I understand. I'm, my, I'm guessing here. It, and it, if this is the wrong scenario, it's fine. But as a for instance, I'm guessing that he needs to sell his 2015 iMac to free up the funds to buy the M1 Mac mini. So it's OK. Clone the 2015 iMac. Use that clone on a 2018 Mac mini in the interim. Then when the new Mac mini shows up, same volume and over we go. If. By the time that one comes around, that M1 Mini comes around, 
and this this utility still does not get you there. I would just use migration assistant on the M1 mini to slurp everything over from this uh, this clone that you've been sort of, you know, hopping from machine to machine. And that way it sort of saves you some headache, keeps you on an external drive, which makes cloning, uh, which makes migration assistant even faster and a little simpler. So that's that's sort of the plan that I would stick with. And if there's a way to do it with carbon copy cloner that that feels simpler for you, then sure, go ahead and do that. But but you've got a path either way. So that's my thought. That was a lot of balls to juggle in the air all at once while I was thinking about it. (laughs) Hey, you did good. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks. And and inadvertently, I uh, I merged Bob's question from later in the show right in here. So we've got them all. So everything is good. We, uh, you know, there you go. Good. You want to take us to Andrew or do you have any good. thoughts on that one? No, no. Migration assistant. Yeah. Is, yeah. Uh, is my pal. Same. Yeah. Same. <laughs> All right. Um, they're not totally because I was, uh, yeah. One of the questions that's coming up, I thought that migration assistant would have a level of granularity to let you migrate only certain types of data, but, uh, it looks like the current version does not. Right. It's all or nothing. Oh, is that right? Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, in your home folder, I think. Yeah. Huh. It's a question regarding music, which we'll get to. In a oh, okay. Moment, but um, I digress. So you, you um, want to do it now? I mean, is this, is this, this, is this the time we can nah, do it? Okay. Now nah, I'm, I'm on a roll with this. this right, go uh, roll this segment here. So, um, all right. So Andrew asks, I'm trying to find a link somewhere that would allow me to download Mac OS Catalina 10.15 installation. Uh, I'm trying to upgrade my computer, but I'm not ready to go straight to Big Sur. Longtime listener. And I hate when they do this, Dave, because, you know, if you go in the Mac OS app store and you search for Catalina, nothing appears. Mm, right. Fortunately, the good folks at DiscMaker. 10, which allows you to make bootable installers, have a page that points to what I'll call the hard link in the app store for these. Um, so, uh, yeah, thismakerx.com slash download. Go there, click on one of those links, and scoop up all you can while you still can. Uh, the other unfortunate thing that kind of leads into the, the next thing I ran into here at one point, you were able to download full installers for past Apple operating systems in the developer store. Well, I was looking for some. And for really? example, I was looking for, for Lion, and yeah. it's not there. They have, they have incremental updates, sure. but they do not have the base installer. At least I couldn't find it. I mean, you know, I clicked on the Mac OS button and I typed in Lion and, and there was no full installer. So I think this is one of the few ways you can do it. Um, there, and there are a couple of articles out there. Um, you know, I think Macworld has an article that has these same links. Sure. Uh, and I think even Apple has a, I think Apple has an article about that. So, um, so that's what I would do. Um, but then this leads to uh, a weird situation that I had, Dave. So we got this thing called, uh, Nextdoor, which is like a community bulletin board. Right. And someone came up and said, yeah, I got a really old Mac and I need the Lion installer. Can anyone help me out? And I'm like, oh, well, I think I can help you out because 
I actually have saved back installers back to Lion and I think maybe one before that. So I was like, all right, well, you know, let me first, uh, um, you know, check to make sure the file's okay. So double click on it. Um, wait a moment. And it says, I'm sorry, the application installed blah, 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 is damaged. Throw it away. And That's I'm like, good. nah, that can't be right. Yeah. I don't want to throw and it away. It, and it was yeah. like, <laughs> you no, know, and it was like four gigs or something. So, um, here's the problem. Uh, or here's how I solved it, Dave. So, yeah. I, you know, I did a little poking around for that error message. Um, what you got to do is go to the terminal and run a particular Unix command X A T T R space dash R C slash, and then whatever the application is. So some flags in that file had gotten corrupted. Um, once I did that, I got a different message saying you're on an operating system that's too new to run this installer. But sure. <laughs> but at least it recognized that it was a valid application after I applied this uh applied this Unix command. Huh. That's interesting. So, that's a good one to remember. I've because I've seen that before and just thought, oh, it's damaged. I gotta go find another copy and download it. And maybe I've gone through too much work. So huh. Interesting. Yeah. So display and manipulate extended attributes is yeah. what that command does. Yeah. I wonder, huh. And what does RC do in that command? R, if a file argument is a directory. Oh, so it recurses the directory. Okay. So it, it affects everything in the directory and option C. I don't see in the, uh, dash C. Where is it? It's like listed in the docs, but not listed in the docs. Mm-hmm. What does dash C do? <laughs> what you, you, you gotta give me? Mm, don't like it. Maybe. Oh no, here it is. Yeah, clear causes all attributes. Uh, yeah, it's in the description. Yeah, okay, kind of hidden there. Thanks. Okay. Ah, I like it. Nice. Fine. So dash C. That's a handy command, man. Because we've run into other problems over the years where we've had like extended attributes causing issues. So that C thing to clear them, that might be the trick to solving a lot of problems. Hmm. Hmm. The things I learn while doing this show. I love it. I love it. Okay, good. Nice. That might be a fix for a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. I, I store them on my disk station. Like I think you do. And uh, Mm -hmm. I, I am often, happy to share a, a direct link to have somebody download that from my disk station. I know I'm not supposed to, but you know, when it's, when it's a neighbor in need, it's like, you know, help them out. So, yeah. All right. I mean, if Apple won't make them available, come on guys. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. We just help each other out. It's what we do on this show. So, mm-hmm. all right. Uh, Andrew brings up an interesting question here, John, it might be, I don't know if it's the same Andrew or different Andrew. There's lots of Andrews that that listen to the show Uh, about when nuking and paving. uh, He says, it seems like forever and yet not when I could erase a partition drive on Mac OS and then restore it from an image I made using disk utilities, disk utility. Now with new APFS file system, everything is different from just having two containers to three. And now the com.apple container that we talked about recently my question, 
Questions. Which container do I erase if I want to reinstall my computer from scratch? Which one should be avoided at all costs? Which ones are created on the fly while paving after nuking the machine? And which one do I erase to nuke and pave? I know this must seem elementary. No, no, not at all, sir. There is no bad question here unless it's exactly the same question that was asked in the previous question. Even that's not bad because you didn't know what we were going to do with the agenda. How could you possibly have? This thing is time shifted. I guess the only bad question is when you go to read Mike and instead you're reading Bruce. That's the bad question. And that's on me. Um, So. This is where things get interesting. Uh, And I've had to do this a few times. In fact, my son's laptop is off getting fixed for its keyboard again. Uh, So we nuked and paved to my old air uh, and in, and then we wiped his machine clean because we know that when it comes back, we're going to just wipe it clean and and clone back to it. So uh, you go into disk utility and I would do this. If you're nuking and paving, I would do this in recovery mode. Really step zero of any of these things is make sure you have enough backups such that whatever you're doing will not, uh, you know, cause you great amounts of grief. If in fact it all goes awry. So, That being said, fire up disk utility in recovery mode. And all you need to do now is highlight your volume. So, you know, on on my machine, I name all my drives after songs that Miles Davis penned. Half Nelson is uh, the name of my drive. I'm going to need to come up with a new system because I'm starting to run out. But uh, but it's okay. I've got I've got some ideas, folks. I'm we're, we're we're workshopping them here. At TMO Towers East, by the time pandemic is over, we will have uh, we will have a new plan and everything will be OK. But on this one, half Nelson, highlight it, click uh, the little minus thing in the menu bar because, you know, that's w- w- how you well, there's a plus and you can add a volume there. But hit the minus thing and it will come up and say, hey, half Nelson is part of a volume group. Do you want to delete just this volume or do you want to delete the group and when you're nuking and paving unless you are doing something uh, you know perhaps out of the ordinary you definitely want to delete the entire group it is not the default option the default option is to just delete the volume Uh, so as it is currently the default option is on the right side of this dialog box the one that you want is on the left bottom left corner uh, as memory serves from the other night when Lucas and I were doing this, but, uh, but yeah, that's that it, they make it relatively easy as far as what to avoid at all costs. Really what I would avoid is well, any other volumes that are on your disc. So know what your boot volume is called, highlight it and choose to delete that. And then let it choose the volume group uh, you know, the contents of the volume group to remove at that point. Once it does that, this will happen very, very quickly. Hit the plus sign, add a new volume because you, you need somewhere to target your installation, add a new volume, name it, whatever you want. Um, if you are someone that likes to call your hard drive Macintosh HD, well then by all means name this new one, Macintosh HD, they're not going to do it for you. So uh, it will otherwise be untitled. And I suppose that's just as good as Macintosh HD, Maybe. I don't know. Um, But uh, Warren reminds us in the chat room, though, do not do this on the new M1 machines. Warren is correct. Um, 
at least Warren was correct with 11.0.x on the M1 machines. There is a problem where you almost certainly will find yourself either bricking your brand new M1 Mac or uh, at the very least causing yourself a great deal of pain to unbrick it. I'm hopeful that that is fixed with 11.1, but I have not tested it with 11.1 because I quite like my M1 Mac and I don't want to brick it. So especially not when, you know, repair centers are going to be on holiday schedules over the next few weeks. So, uh, so I don't know if 11.1 fixes this and it doesn't seem that any of us in the chat room here know either because none of us want to test it for all the same reasons. So yeah, be careful of this on an M1 Mac. And this is why on my M1 Mac, I actually have two boot volumes, John, because I wanted to do migration Mm -hmm. assistant and instead of wiping and adding a new volume, I skipped the wipe step and I just added a new volume and installed Catal- uh, Catalina, installed Big Sur on that volume and then took Migration Assistant over from it. So I still have another boot volume on that drive. And every time I boot up, it says, this is encrypted. Do you want to mount it? And I say, mm, no, I'm good. Thanks. You know, and I just leave it there. So someday I will wipe it. And I feel like maybe now I could wipe it because I already have another boot volume there. But again, you know. I quite like this little Mac that I've been using and I don't want to stop using it. So, so there you go. Hopefully that helps Andrew. And thanks in the chat room to Warren for reminding us about the warning of M one max. You want to take us to Jeffrey, John? Yes. Jeffrey says I recently purchased a new iMac and did a clean install and then moved or tried to move all my data to the new machine. And so far everything is mostly good, but I did not try to move my music, movies, and other media of that type. Trying to make sure I didn't mess up again, I called AppleCare and got what I suspect was incomplete information. The Apple expert told me to simply select all my music files from my backup and drag them into the Apple Music folder, which I did. I then asked about... (laughs) I can see you shaking your head. Uh, I then asked about play counts and other data and playlists for my old iTunes. And what about the iTunes.itl file? And she acted as if she didn't know what I was talking about. I still have all my music files still on my backup drive. Do playlists created in the new music app not, uh, do playlists created in the new music app not since with iPhone and iPads? Um, hmm? Yeah. Uh, if I've not been too confusing, do you have any advice about the library.itl file and uh, my old data and playlists. Uh, and I would concur, Dave. So uh, it looks like the information supplied on Apple support site regarding migrating music is a bit out of date. Mm. Uh, so I don't blame you, uh, the Apple person, for being at a loss. There is this. Uh, they have an article called Import Music from the Computer to Music on Mac. Okay. But this looks to be relevant for new installations of music. Got since it. it keeps mentioning the music folder. And it sounds like you have the same setup that I do in that when I look at my home slash music folder, there's both a music folder with only a single file, which is just a P list. If you open it in a text editor, but there's still the iTunes folder complete with the ITL file you mentioned, as well as other support files. And of course, the iTunes music folder. So I think if you drag your iTunes folder from the old machine to the new machine, you uh that should do it for you you may have to select your music library as well um since i think music is smart enough to search for this folder uh, 
or not. Um, if not, when you start, yeah. Oh, I just said this. I got ahead of myself. <laughs> when you start music, hold down the option key and it will let you choose a music library. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I kind of hinted at this before. As a last resort, there's migration assistant, but I'm almost certain in the past they would only let you s migrate certain folders in your home folder, but uh, I just ran it and it doesn't look like it lets you get that level of granularity. So manually dragging it over and selecting the library, I think is going to, is going to do it for you. Yeah. I would drag the whole folder in. Right. It, it, mm -hmm. Exactly. Yep. And then, and then select that library. And at that point it will convert it into a music library from an iTunes library. Yeah. I would agree with that. Yep. Yep. That's the, that's the key to me, man. Yeah. 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 Dragging the files in even like, what a weird piece of advice, dragging them into the folder. I mean, I would, at the very least, I'd drag them into the music app so that the music app knows about them. But uh, but then you're losing all those play counts. Like, that's not the answer here. The answer is what John said. Yeah, for sure. Interesting, interesting. All right. Well, I think we have one more on migrating our max here and it has to do similarly here. David writes, he says, I decided to go with the OWC four drive option uh, for, uh, for, for all of for storing all of his data on a JBOD. He says, uh, he says, can you point me to somewhere on the internet where I can set up photos, movies, and music on an external drive in an easy and logical manner for Catalina? I guess everything changes in this version of where files are. So it, it, this is, um, I like keeping for my desktop Macs. I like keeping my music, movies, and photos on an external drive. Uh, it just even if I have enough room on my internal, it feels like there. I can move these things to an external. Why wouldn't I alleviate? Unless I just have so much space on my internal that that this conversation is ridiculous. But I I don't live in that world, so I store all that stuff on an external. Uh, I have found with photos, it definitely pays to have it on an SSD uh, with music. I, I actually, I think I still have my music on a really old spindle drive, which is stupid because I literally have stacks of SSDs that I should be using for this. So maybe this week, if things actually calm down in the, like the work world for me, I will do that migration that I've been planning on doing, but always external because why not leave the space on the internal drive for the things that you cannot move off the internal drive, or at least can't move without causing trouble. With that in mind, with the Photos app, open Photos with the Option key held down, and you can choose which Photos library to use or create a new one. So all you need to do is take your Photos library from your Mac, copy it to the external drive. I like to put it in a folder there. I make a folder called Dave's Active Files, and that's where that stuff is stored. Uh, and maybe even subfolders off of that. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and then I just point it there, and then boom, that's it. Then you go into Photos and set that as your in photos preferences and set that as your system library so that it's using that for iCloud photos and all of those things. If you're doing iCloud photos. So with photos, super easy with music also super easy. As John pointed out, you launch the music app. Uh, you, you can do this. Well, there's a couple ways to do this with music. Um, you're right. That holding down the option key lets you pick an external library. I, I actually keep my library files on my Mac in the music folder. And the only thing I relocate is where my media files are stored. So it does take up some space because album artwork and those things are stored where the library is. 
and that is on my hard drive. But I keep my media off the drive. And I do that by launching into my music library. Go to Music Preferences Files, and you can choose where your music library's files are stored. Then once you do that, you can go, and again, I'm not going to launch the music app because, you know, podcasting. Uh, go to the, I believe it's the file menu in the music library, and you can organize library. It used to be called Consolidate. I don't have it in front of me, and I apologize for that. But um, but there is a step there where it will actually copy and and everything in there. It won't move everything. So if you have it on your internal drive, have it do this, and then delete it once you've confirmed. Do some spot checking to make sure it's actually loading things from the external drive, and you should be fine. Uh, and the TV app, at least in Big Sur, follows mute the music app's locations. So I think you're going to be okay with that. It, it just, it goes wherever the music app goes, which seems strange to me, but I guess not so strange because all that stuff used to be inside the music app. So maybe it makes sense that it's reading those same preferences. So that's my thought on that. John, you have any thoughts on that? Um, yeah. Where do I keep my music? Yeah, I do keep my music on an external, uh, uh on, on my NAS. Oh, interesting. Do you keep the whole library on your NAS or do you do what I do where the library is on your Mac and just the actual files are on your NAS? Um, the, uh, I, I do it in kind of a weird way in okay. that, um, well, no, I copied the, uh, so I did copy the music files over. Yeah. Um, but then it, it and then what I do is I publish it as a DLNA source using um, Synology's uh, audio station, I think it is. Okay. And then I connect uh, from whatever device I want to, and it sees that, you know, source, and then I play the songs that way. So I do it in kind of a non-traditional huh. way. I have, I, so I have been sort of not fighting, but managing that same type of scenario for years. I have my music library on my Mac and when I'm playing it on my Mac, I play it in the music app and I use iCloud music. So when I want to play my music library on my phone, now it's just all synced and you know, all that. Cause we have Apple music and iCloud music library uh, for our Sonos for years. I managed my library by connecting it kind of like what you're talking about, but actually Sonos would connect to an SMB share and so I had that on my disk station so that it was always there. And I still have that, but it's a little wonky. And just recently I realized I've been doing it wrong for all these years. Well, a Sonos will connect to Apple music so I can do it that way. That's also a little wonky, um, although way better, but because it's loading it from the cloud instead of just loading my music locally. And if I want to load music local, you know, if I want to play albums that I own, why would I be need to stream them from the cloud? So I thought, wait a minute, I have all of my music. I have my Plex server pointed at my music library on my disk station because it's all just one library. I don't have to have copies of it. So I do have Synology's audio station pointed at it, but I also have my Plex uh, server pointed at it. And all I do is play my music from within. Synology is linked to Plex. So Synology doesn't need to manage the music library. It doesn't need to index the music library once a day, which is this, you know, it's, I mean, it's fine, but if I add something to the music library right now, I can't go play it on my Synology. I have to wait until my 6 PM update of the music library and all of that crazy stuff. So, uh, so I just, if I want to play music from my library, I do it Sonos Plex and go. 
And a lot of devices support Plex. So, it, you know, this may be and Plex, of course, for this kind of stuff is free. You don't need a Plex pass for this. So you can use the, the free Plex for it. So I um, that's what I do now. I, I live far more inside Plex than I have uh, it over the years. I mean, I've always used Plex for my movies, but but now I'm using it for music a lot. And I think I mentioned it in a recent show, but Plex amp uh, on the um, on the uh, on uh, on the iPhone works great with CarPlay, and it's so nice. It's a much better interface, CarPlay interface than Apple's uh, music app. Even it really works well. So, and you get a lot more control over things. So, anyway, that's my uh, that's my little tip. Now we have uh, we have some time for some more questions and things like that, John. But um, the next thing that I want to do is talk about uh, a couple more sponsors, if that's okay with you. Please. All right. Look, how did you choose your ISP? If you're like me, the sad part is you have basically no choice because ISPs are almost monopolies in the regions they serve. And then they can use that power to take advantage of us, right? With data caps and streaming throttles. We've talked about this. The list goes on. But worst of all, many ISPs will log your internet activity and then sell that data to other big tech companies or advertisers. And so to prevent your ISP or for me to prevent my ISP from seeing my daily internet activity, I protect all of my devices with express VPN. So what is express VPN? It's super simple. It's an app that you put on your Mac, your iPhone, your iPad. It just works one click and it turns on this encrypted tunnel that takes whatever you're doing and sends it first to ExpressVPN servers, and then from there gets out to the internet. So the only thing your ISP sees is that you're connected to ExpressVPN. That's it. They can't see what else you're doing. They can't even see what type of traffic is going because the tunnel's encrypted. Super simple, super easy, super safe. So stop handing over your personal data to ISPs and other tech giants who mine your activity and sell off your information Protect yourself with the VPN that we both use here and trust to keep us private online. Visit expressvpn.com slash MGG. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash MGG to get three extra months for free. Go to expressvpn.com slash MGG right now to learn more. Our thanks to ExpressVPN. Next up is Plush Care. You know, I tend to get caught up in the holiday craze that I kind of don't leave time left for me sometimes. And when I need to see a doctor, it almost feels impossible, right? They have limited time. You have limited time planning work. Plus going to a doctor's waiting room. I don't know. You know, like right now, that's not really my thing. Thanks to Plush Care, I can see a doctor right away, whether I'm home or anywhere else, because Plush Care provides virtual doctor appointments through your smartphone or computer. I can just pick a time that works for me and book an appointment online. I don't have to sit on hold forever to make an appointment, and I don't have to leave the house and sit in that waiting room. And with Plush Care, I can be diagnosed, treated, and even have a prescription sent to my pharmacy of choice if needed within minutes. Plush Care accepts all major insurance carriers and is available in all 50 states. And the doctor's care, I've tried this, I've used it several times, in fact, and it's great. I just do it from my phone, or I can even do it from my computer. Super simple and 
it works. Plush Care makes it easier than ever to take care of yourself inside and out. Start your membership today. Go to plushcare.com slash MGG to start your free 30-day trial. That's P-L-U-S-H-C-A-R-E dot com slash MGG for a free 30-day trial. Plushcare.com slash MGG. Our thanks to Plush Care for sponsoring this episode. All right, John, we have a question from listener John, but not, obviously, not you. You're host John, not listener John. Okay, uh, listener John says, my employer wants to add a profile to my personal iPhone using Intelligent Hub so that I can use email and access the internal intranet and they can limit what employees can do, aka they limit that we can only copy and paste company info inside of their uh, networking email apps and not outside. Prior to this, we just used the built-in email app. Okay. It says, I understand they're trying to keep company information secure, and I totally agree that they need to, but I'm not sure I want to give them that much access to my personal phone. Is it correct that profiles potentially could have a lot of access to my system and info on my phone? I understand some things are secure through end-to-end encryption, but if their profile sends me through a VPN, they potentially can see what is being sent, or at least to, to whom and from whom from my phone. I don't feel my company plans or will do any snooping, but I'm not sure I'm comfortable crossing the line of telling them or anyone or letting them or anyone have that much access to my phone. What could be accessed through adding a profile? Is it something I should or shouldn't be concerned with? So the short answer, and I'm hoping, John, that you have some more on this, but uh, the short answer is that you or they, anyone that installs a profile on your phone, uh, allow it allows them to potentially control a lot. But the other short answer is, you or we get to see exactly what a profile is allowed to do. Once the profile's on your phone, go to settings, general profiles, and you'll see them there, including all the details of what they contain. And hopefully that'll shed some light on what your employer is doing with this profile. For example, I happily install Xfinity's profile on my phone. I can see that all that profile does is auto log me in to their three Wi-Fi networks. I think it's three still, but, uh, but I just looked at it the other day and that's all that's in there is Wi-Fi stuff. So it's like, yeah, okay, great. Like they're not, they can't do anything else. They're, it, they're just essentially making it super easy for me to log into their Wi-Fi without me having to remember a password or anything like that. So, so that is, um, y- you can, you get to see. So it should be okay. Am I right on this, John, or am I completely off base? No, it will show. Um, and there's a couple of ways. If you want to learn what can be done with a profile, um, there are two tools. Um, and I just checked these out, and we got links to them. So Even one, <laughs> Dave, is is server. Okay. Like and actually, I just Mac OS reinstalled server? it. <clears throat> Correct. I Got just it. reinstalled it on my uh, uh, Big Sur machine. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, just, you know, it, I searched for server in the app store and then it showed it and it had a little cloud with an arrow means, oh, you got to download it again. So sure. I'm like, okay. So I downloaded it, ran it, and everything's dandy. Um, then you, you you can dive in and see exactly what sort of pro, what sort of things can be done with the profile. Um, and the other piece of software that Apple makes, and I also updated this, is Apple Configurator 2. Okay. All right. So uh, those, uh, I just suggest those as tools that 
will let you learn. Oh, right. What can what possibly can be done? I got you. Okay. But you're absolutely correct. Yeah. When I have set up and I, I may do this again, I mean, for at one point I ran server and actually had both my phone and my uh, computer managed. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it was pretty cool. Like here was one thing that I think you can still do with the phone. So there's a, a feature where you can say, turn off camera. And I'm like, oh, let me, let me see how that works. Sure. So I said, okay, turn off camera on my iPhone. And all of a sudden the camera app disappeared. <laughs> oh, right. Wow. Yeah. So it's very powerful. Um, now the thing is, depending on what they're doing, you may or may not be able to delete the profile if you're not happy with it. I, I okay. think they have to enroll in a certain program in order to um, lock down the profile so that you can't, the user can't delete it. Sure, sure. But that makes um, sense. Yeah, you're yeah. absolutely right. Um, I'm just trying to think how I feel about that from a security point of view i mean back, back when i did the corporate thing we, we would actually um at one point we we used a cisco vpn and then we went to i think juniper okay. had one that you could just do the brow through the browser and access the corporate resources and that create the, created a good separation so yeah um i mean maybe they should get you a company iphone <laughs> <laughs> Well, right? I, I mean, yes and no. Like, I I like the idea of being able to say, bring your own device. We're going to put this profile on it and you get to do whatever you want to do with your device. And here's the things that when you do things on behalf of the company, you know, they're locked down, it, assuming they are building the profile in a good way. And again, you get transparency. So so I I, I don't know. I think I think there's a path here. Because there's so much bring your own device stuff now. So especially with people working from home and, you know, all this remote stuff. So profiles might really well be the key to this. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. But again, take a look at that profile and find out what's in there. So you reminded me of something, John. So I am going to inject a new CSF into the show here. Cool stuff found very briefly. If you are running Big Sur and you are a Synology user, go update to the latest Synology Drive client version 2.0.3. Um, it did Mine did not update automatically. I only caught it because I use Mac Updater. This fixes the problem. There are two problems with the Synology Drive client on Big Sur. One is that sometimes it won't launch at startup. And the other is sometimes it will crash or quit. It doesn't even crash. It just quits. Uh, when waking from sleep, neither of those is good if you just rely on this to keep your data in sync, especially in a corporate environment where you are syncing data with other users and relying on knowing that I have the latest version of this on my machine, just like she does and just like he does. So uh, so go get that so that you don't have to sweat this anymore. So it's version 2.0.3 of the Synology Drive client that you want to go get. Ooh, yeah. Okay, that's weird because I just, um, yeah, I just, um, so we have a, a MacGab shared yeah. Synology drive thing going on here, and I actually remap one of my machines. I didn't have it mapped. Yeah, 
because uh, we were trying to share a file. But I'm looking at my machine, Dave, and I have version 600 on one of my machines and 601 on the other. So of the Synology Drive client? Yes. Really? Um, if I, yeah. if I go to the little menu bar and do the drop down and mm-hmm. then hit the three dots and say about, I have Synology drive client 2.0.3-11102. And that is, huh. the, I put a link in the show notes. So yeah, go, go get the, the latest Synology drive client. Um, you'll want that. And I'm, yeah, no, yeah. just, yeah. just an observation. Yeah. But, uh, it's kind of weird that they. Oh, no, it's interesting. If you look in the finder, it says 6.0.3 for this current one. So if if, oh. you're, if you're looking in the finder, 603 is, I don't know why it says 603, but that is correct for this, this latest one. Oh, okay. Yep. All right. So, so you're fine. But, if, but if you ask for the version within the app, it shows 2.0.3. Oh, okay. So they, they got to fix that. They, so. yes, agreed. <laughs> yeah, nice catch. You want to take us to Mark, John? Yes, let's get Mark up here. Mark, Mark, Mark. It, you took yes, it. Yes, here we you go. Find it. Okay, great, perfect. All right, so I got some places he can look. So, um, all right, I I recently bought a new uh, MacBook uh, M1 MacBook Air. I'll be using it mainly at home, but want to take care of the battery. Here's the thing. I don't know if it's best to keep it plugged in and just use it on my desktop, which is where I normally use it, or to unplug it and use the power from the battery. What will best keep the life of my battery at peak performance and keep it going for as long as possible? Running it plugged in or unplug it and use the battery? Because it's been a long time since I've owned a laptop. I'm not sure what the best thing to do is. Uh, reading things online don't really give her a clear answer to this question. Um, well, I'll tell you a few places you can look to answer this question. Uh, so one, I'm going to tell, uh, so my MacBook, which I got at the beginning of the year. Yep. Um, and I think has about 400 charge cycles is at like 87%, uh, of maximum capacity which I think is, is pretty good. That's a lot of charge cycles Um, for less than a year. Wow. Well, I pretty much charge it up and then unplug it and then charge it down. Yeah. Um, No, I'm not saying that's bad. I'm that's impressive is what it is. mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I found that though, what I did find, so there are a couple articles here that you can look at to decide what features you want to enable. So the article is about battery health management in Mac notebooks. Um, And there are a couple of uh, uh, things that you can select in battery um, to uh, uh, help this here. So one is, um, uh, let me bring it up here. Hold on. on. I I think it's in, we're talking about system preferences, right? Right. So system preferences, battery. So there are two things that you, you want to consider. So one, there's a checkbox, optimized battery charging. Um, and they go into detail in this article about what that means exactly. But it basically. Um, I think it's what we were talking about with the iPhone before. It doesn't charge it all the way up. Yes. Yeah. 
Right. It manages it. It's not charging it at full blast. Um, and the reason that's a good thing is that um, charging creates heat. Heat kills batteries. Um, and they kind of go into detail about this, that they manage the power and that manages the temperature and that helps longevity of the battery. The other feature they have is if you click on battery health, dot, 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 it'll tell you the condition of the battery. And then it also says manage battery longevity. And that's another thing that they go into detail about in this article. So those are the two places I would look as far as the decision, whether to leave it plugged in all the time. I, my instinct tells me that's not a good thing. I, you know, my instincts are the same as yours. Um, However, Apple, because of, you know, these things are evidence of this. They have gotten much better at managing exactly that scenario, essentially saying, go be the idiot user, do whatever you want, leave it plugged in all the time. If you want, we've got your back. And, and that first option that you mentioned does not charge the battery past 80% unless it thinks you're going to need it. And it's like, just like the iPhone, it's the exact same one. So if that works for you, great on an M one Mac, that may well work for you because of how long the battery life is. I mean, on my air, it's crazy how long the battery life is on this thing. I mean, I'm easily, you know, I was noticing last night I had 40% left and it was like, you know, seven hours remain. It was like perfect. Like I'm not even, I don't even think I put it on charge last night. So, um, so that's one thing is thinking about, well, how often, I, I guess if you're only using it at your desk, it just makes sense to leave it plugged in. Maybe you've got an external monitor and, and that's sort of the, the, I think a, big reason behind why Apple's doing this. We now live in one cable to rule them all land with USB-C, right? So even if you don't necessarily care whether your Mac is actively charging, you might need to plug it into your dock to get the monitors up and the, you know, all your external drives and all the things that are connected to your dock and, and it's one cable. So it's also, by the way, your Mac's now charging, and you don't really have any control over that, except now you do. You can do this optimized battery charging thing. So that I would I would say on your Mac, use that, even though I just said I turned it off on my phone. But if you find that it, you're you're running into trouble with that, then don't use that. But by default, I would I would use that. And I would also this managed battery longevity thing is um, is the, the thing that that, you know, Apple got sued for because they were saying, well, you're slowing down my my Mac or my phone in order to save the battery life. And I don't like it when you do that. Um, and you're reducing the capacity of my battery to save its longevity. And I don't like that. So this now lets you turn that off. I don't, I recommend leaving managed battery longevity on Apple knows what they're doing there. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not planning on suing them for, for taking my, the headache away from me. So um, you know. Now, here's an interesting caveat to this, Dave. Yeah. So when I was looking at the article um, talking about the battery, yeah, there's a line in here. It says, this article applies only to Mac computers with an Intel processor. Okay. Like, hmm, okay. Well, I don't want to give the wrong advice because uh, we're talking an M1 laptop. Sure. Um, so... Uh, fortunately, I found an article um, that explained a little bit of this to me, Dave. Okay. Uh, 
from our pals at 9to5Mac. And here's the secret. Battery health management and optimized charging in macOS is turned on by default in macOS Big Sur. You can turn both off on Intel Macs. And on M1 Macs, you can turn off optimized charging. Correct. Yeah, I know I can control optimized charging on mine. I guess I can't control that second one, the battery health management or whatever it is. But like I said, I would leave Right. So whatever reason, that the, that is not an option uh, on, on the M1 Max. Uh, that just jumped out at me. So. Yeah. No, that's that's actually a really good distinction to make. Yeah. It it um it probably has to do with how Apple is managing power and all of that with the system on the chip and it's just like you got to let us handle this folks, you know, it, mm-hmm. too, too deep. Yep. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I and there were times where I thought uh that my M1 Mac wasn't charging properly like there was a problem with the battery. I think I even had this on my on my Intel Mac. It's like crap. I, you know, I, I know I put it on charge. Why is it only at eighty percent? It's like aha, that's why. You know that it. They did this to me intentionally. They did this to me because that's a good thing. So, uh, at least it can be a good thing. And again, on the M1 Mac, I, you know, it, it, like, I, I would be curious based on your usage how many charge cycles you would go through on an M1 Mac in the same period of time it took you to go through four hundred charge cycles on on this one. Um, it's mm-hmm. just it's crazy how how well that thing manages power. Um, I'm, I'm I'm excited about our futures here with uh, with Apple Silicon. Yeah, yeah. The um, the other tip is that I use um, fruit juice yep. to uh, show me additional information. Though actually now Apple's battery uh, uh, section in Big Sur shows uh, quite a bit more information than it used to. Agreed. But um, Fruit Juice also shows me a graph of how my um, maximum capacity uh, changes. And actually, once I enabled the um, one of those features, um, which actually I had enabled in uh, the prior OS as sure. well, they introduced this battery health management stuff. Yeah, yeah. I actually saw the maximum capacity go up, <laughs> which was cool. And again, fruit juice has a little graph showing you that. So I thought that was kind of cool. That's interesting. So, uh, wow. Yeah. Huh? That's great. That's great. Cool. Did you buy Apple care for I, this? Is a totally random question. I don't know why I thought of it. Did you buy Apple care for your MacBook pro? <clears throat> oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Uh, every portable Mac that I've had, I bought Apple care. Uh, and that's the only time I've bought Apple care. I've bought it for my IMAX as well, only because it's so cheap. Mm. Well, I mean, look at the, you know, if, if I look at the price of a portable, you know, whatever, uh, the, the airs that I buy, 1100 bucks or whatever, 1200 bucks, maybe this one was 1300 or something, you know, something in that range. And I'm paying 200 or something for Apple care on that. But then an IMAX where I go and spend three, four, five grand or whatever to, you know, to max it out. And Apple Care is 169 bucks or something. It's like, yeah, that's short mm-hmm. money. So, and it has paid off on the IMAX. Um, you, you know, the graphics chips are always the ones that, that get flaky. So, um, so yeah, so I buy it on, I'm trying to think, did I buy it on Lisa's Mini? I think I did buy it on the Mini as well. And actually, I feel pretty good about that, knowing how hot that computer gets. That that i7 and that Mini, man, that thing is, that is... That's like red fish bone, how hot it gets. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, though we are having fun, all good, thing, all good things must come to an end, including this episode. 
But no worries. We'll be back next week. It's fine. It's fine. There's nobody, you know, it's not a it's not a problem. We uh this is what we do. Um but I hope you have a Merry Christmas between now and then, folks. And thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for sending in all of your questions and tips and cool stuff found and well, I guess we didn't do we did a little cool stuff found this week. We we you know we just touched the touched the surface of it. Uh, thanks for all your premium contributions. I do want to take a minute and thank all the folks whose premium contributions have come in as of late. Uh, it's all at MacGeekUp.com slash premium. That's where you can learn about this. So, Jason from Charlestown, Andrew from North Glen, Anthony from Chicago, Javier from Jacksonville, Paul from Fishers, Mark from Milford, Gary from Babylon, Michael from Woodbine, Neil from West Hartford, Lou from Albuquerque, Francis from Putney, Larry from Irvine, huh, neighbors, I think, John from Ypsilanti. Okay, that one's going to be fun. Uh, he's on an every six-month subscription, but, uh, but we might have to thank him more frequently just because we like to say Ypsilanti. It's fun. Uh, Abel from Santa Rosa, Peter from Auburn, Bob Dr. Maclevitis from Working Smarter for Mac Users, James from San Antonio, Phil from Santa Fe, Abdullah from Reisterstown. I, I always like saying that, too. And he's on a monthly subscription, so I, I get to pretty regularly. Todd from San Carlos, Richard from Brooklyn, Ari from Kensington, Nick from Mount Clemens, Robert from Sioux Falls, Stacy from Pine Valley, Philip from Tucson, Tim from Des Moines, Russell from Marblehead, Bob from Lepeche, Timothy from West Windsor, and Timothy from Hendersonville. Brian from Danbury, Chuck from Boulder, Santiago from Palm City, John from Wake Forest, Thomas from Shoreview, Ken from Kailua, Chris from Chorleywood, Greg from Garner, Richard from Melbourne, Michael from Robbins, and Barry from Delray Beach. Thank you to all of you and to everyone on the premium program for your contributions. Really, you know that it's it's a it's a big family here at Mac Geekab. If you can participate and want to participate in premium, great. If you can't, no problem. Please keep listening. Please keep sending in your questions. And most of all, please keep telling your friends uh, about the show. We that really is the thing that helps. Uh, it really helps a lot. And and visit our sponsors. We don't necessarily require you. We don't require you to make any purchase or enter into a business relationship with them. Uh, it is our job to wet your whistle, as it were, and encourage you to go visit them and see what they have. Beyond that, it's between you and them. And so we really would appreciate you going to visit our sponsors. Our, our links for today for sponsors are Readle.com, R-E-A-D-D-L-E.com, BetterHelp.com slash M-G-G, ExpressVPN.com slash M-G-G, and PlushCare.com slash M-G-G. Do you have anything else to say to him, John? Or is it time to, uh, time to, to you know, to bring the last phase in? I think it's... Skedaddle. It's time to skedaddle. Yeah, that's right. It is time to skedaddle. You all ready for Christmas, John? You have all your all your stuff done? Your um, purchased? Almost. Oh. I have lots to rap still. I was a former professional oh, yeah. rapper, you know, John. <laughs> it's true. One of my first jobs. I had to rap. John, you got us into this. Please, will you get us out of this? I'm going to get us out. I'm going to tell everybody. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, whatever you celebrate. 
and make sure you don't get caught. Made up. See everybody. 